there's a line from um, one of the mindful, one of the metta chants, the a metta prayer that begins, "May I be free of enmity and danger." By the way, the only place you can buy this particular chant that I know of is in our bookstore. And it is most beautiful. It's a CD. It's called The Chant of Metta. And it be, it's in Pali for half of it. And then the last half of it is Pali with voiceover in English. And um, the first line of the English is, May I be free of enmity and danger. And I, I think I thought the first time I heard that, that it meant, May I be free of enemies, of people coming after me, that, you know, the enmity of other people or the danger of having people after me. And I have come to decide that I think it's probably one of the most important lines of Dharma teaching, and it has to do with may I be free of enmity and danger, the danger of suffering that arises in any moment that there is enmity in me with anything that's going on and anyone that's doing anything. And it's very hard. This is not to suggest that I live in that place, but I'd like to live in that place. That actually sets the the intention for me. I have a friend who uh, is a um, um, mediator. He's a mediator between uh, for corporations, businesses having disputes, so they don't have to go to court. He mediates between them, and because he he lives on the East Coast and he knows I tell the story, so it's all right, and I'm not going to say his name or the companies. But uh, he told me a story about the fact that part of his practice uh, is because he lives in an observant community, uh, within the community of observant Jews, a lot of his clients are businesses who deal in, uh, are businesses that share that piece of his lifestyle. So he talked about two businesses that uh, were uh, in a conflict and called on him to mediate um, because he's one of the community and they know him to be a skilled mediator. And they uh, had serious business grievances between them. So both sides had come to this uh, mediation with lawyers and testimony and depositions and big piles of notes. And he said it went on for several days, these meetings with both sides presenting, and he said, got to be pretty heated discourse from time to time. And he said, but every afternoon at a particular time, somebody would say, it's time to pray the afternoon liturgy. And everybody would stand up and face in the same direction and chant the seven-minute or so liturgy. And then they'd continue on with their (laughs) arbitration. And And he said it was much different in the part afterwards. They still have the same grievances. But I'd like to tell that story, not about the religion part of it, but um, it just happens to be that they, at that moment, were doing a religious thing together. But I think of it in the larger sense of in that moment, they have the shared awareness that we're on the same team, really. I actually think we could have that shared awareness with everyone that we had a contention with, without having the same religious tradition, without having the same cultural background, that we are all human beings together trying to have a life on a planet circling around on the farther reaches of the solar system. 
uh, that's uh, having trouble itself staying alive, and that if we stood, if we st- if we had a silent break in the middle of all of our contentiousness, and stood up with everybody there, and just stood quietly together and didn't even chant the liturgy, if we just looked around and said, "Everybody here is a person," everybody here like me is a human being on this earth with a vested interest in this earth continuing. Everybody here wants to go home to their children or their partners or their parents or their friends. They want to go home and have a meal and lie down in peace and wake up in peace and sing happy birthday a few more times. Everybody wants the same things in life. It takes away the enmity. Then it doesn't take away necessarily the conflicts that we have adversaries but not enemies. We can have adversaries, people who have a different view than we around the conflict that we have to work out. But to do it without enmity requires a context larger than the the small context of you and me. And you get a context of us, and then we're adversaries and we can work this out. It's a very, it, it seems to me so crucial to me in my own practice to make sure that I am not in uh, an enmity position. I don't make people into enemies. Somebody said this morning, um, oh, somebody over here said, if I do that, I don't feel victimized. Oh, it was you that said that. And your name is? Marty, Marty said, you know, if I, if I take control of everything and I get everything done, then I don't feel victimized. I think it's tremendously important not to feel victimized, which requires that you make the world free of villains, and then you can't feel victimized. Uh, (laughs) I just thought of a story I had no plan to tell you. Uh, (laughs) I won't. I won't. I won't. won't, I'll tell you something else instead, but it's funny how a story just suddenly floats into your mind. I'll tell you this instead, because I really want us to do a practice together where you can work with your same team. I want to talk about not having villains and victims. Um, and again, out of my own cultural background, I'll tell you, a, uh, my grandfather lived to be nearly 100. And um, he, was, he did not read or write in any language, but uh, I thought of him as quite wise, and I loved him a lot. And he had a figure of speech that I assume is Eastern European folk culture. So he would say, for example, uh, my daughter Gladys, may she rest in peace, had a much, um, uh, had a much uh, sweeter disposition. Uh, maybe he wouldn't have said that, but it's, it was actually true. My, my daughter Gladys, uh, may she rest in peace, uh, uh, was much more patient than my daughter Miriam. May she live and be well. And it, it wasn't always actually that you had to be uh, contrasting people. He might have said, "My son, my grandson Henry, may he live and be well, is a very good cook." So that's not in comparison to something. Uh, my wife Ida, who was his third wife, when he said this to me in his mid nineties. My wife Ida, because he'd outlived the other two, my wife Ida, may she live and be well, 
has become quite grumpy and hard to live with since she got to be 90. So that's why I moved out to California to live with you. So that's... Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, uh, She's living in the, actually in the, my condominium, but may she live and be well, may she live there until her life is over and then I'll move back to Florida, okay? <laughs> Which she did, actually. Uh, I thought for a while that it was, and it may have been for him, just a folk um, uh, habit of, of if you say somebody's name out into the air, you have to cover it with some sort of protective mantra, otherwise you never know the spirits out there. So if you've called attention to someone like my daughter Gladys or my daughter Miriam or something, you have to protect them with a little protection mantra. And there's only two protection mantras, may you live and be well or may you rest in peace, because those are the only two situations you could be in. So, <laughs> so I thought about that it was a protection mantra, but, and I think it is a protection mantra, but not for the person. I think it was a protection mantra for him because it kept him from villainizing people. That if you say, my wife Ida, may she live and be well, has become cranky since she was got old and I can't live with her anymore. You at least, you tell him the truth, she was cranky and he had to move out from there. But it keeps his mind from putting her in the category of a villain and putting himself in the category of victim. She's just a cranky old woman. She, may she live and be well in my condominium with her friends. I'll live with you. And when that situation changes, I'll move back. I was very impressed with that, 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 uh, that it may have been folk custom, but it's, a, it's been a valuable thing for me to think about how I can not villainize people. How I can actually, I, I sometimes, sometimes I have to watch it because uh, if I use that folk phrase, which I like a lot, I notice that you have to be careful with it because if I say, if I want to tell some gossip about somebody, <laughs> I might say so and so, so and so, naming somebody in my family to somebody else. May they live and be well. I have to watch that I'm not doing that in order to give myself license to now gossip about them. It's very, it's complicated because it's, it's a really, you could sneak in a little gossip that way. And that's not so kind either. But, but as, an, as, as, the, as, as just the general idea, could we keep people in our lives and not actually approve of what they're doing, but not move them into the category of villains? Nobody, it, which is actually not based on folk custom, it's based on wisdom. It's actually based on the wisdom that everyone is exactly the way they are because they can't be otherwise. When people are doing something, even terrible things, they're doing it because they're in pain. Nobody who feels good hurts other people. That's just the truth. Nobody who feels good hurts other people. The Buddha said something like, anyone who loves themselves cannot do harm. To anybody else. We tell that to people when we teach them metta practice and we say, start with yourself because you really deserve it. You're a person trying to live a life in a world. And anyone who loves themselves cannot do harm to anybody else. So I have, uh, we only have 45 minutes, I have a, uh, an exercise that I would like for us to do together. I have uh, copies of the Metta Sutta here. Uh, who wants to be the monitors, first of all? I need a couple of monitors to give them out.
So you want to be a monitor, Diane? Okay. You can be at this side of the room, monitor. You want to be a monitor on this side, Ted? Okay. Nancy, you want to be a back of the room monitor? <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. Let's see if they go. And then I will have extra ones. Here comes Uda. To Udo, to be a monitor for whoever didn't monitor. I would like for you not to read it. Turn it over. Don't peek. Just seeing if I can read it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't peek. Don't peek. Okay. Everybody got one? Everybody got one? Okay. So here is what we're going to do. What we teach at Spirit Rock is we, we teach uh, courses called mindfulness courses, courses, courses called meta courses. One of the things that I have come to firmly believe in the course of my own 30 years of practice is that they're the same. They're not exactly the same in form. The, um, a metta practice is the dedicated making of blessing phrases. We don't say, may you live and be well and may you rest in peace. We say, may you be peaceful, may you be happy, may you be free of suffering, or um, may you be safe, may you... May you feel protected and safe. May you feel contented and pleased. May your physical body support you with strength. May your life unfold smoothly with ease. Over and over again, people who come to metta retreats, we don't start with pay attention to the breath. We say pay attention to this phrase of blessing and say it over and over and over again. It's different from the breath because it's a phrase of blessing rather than the breath. It's the same as the breath, in the sense that it takes up that verbal track of the mind, it conditions the mind to sweetness. You cannot, at the same time that you are wishing well to yourself or somebody else, be nursing along a grudge. You can't do the same. It's like driving your car in forward and in reverse at the same time. It doesn't go like that. You have to be, if you're going forward, you're going forward. So it's a very big protection against uh, villainization to be going around blessing. May you live and be well. Remember that story I told you about uh, the Buddha sitting with his blessing and it neutralizing all bad things? I just had an image come up in my mind, so I'll tell it to you because uh, it isn't going to be in any book anywhere. I don't think, unless I wrote it somewhere. But it's an image that I saw in my very house uh, the, the, the very woman who walked through walls, presumably, uh, who I met, uh, who exuded a, a kind of tremendous aura of um, ease and blessing about her, was known for her blessing. She blessed people. Um, her name was Deepama. And when she stayed at my house, when she came to my house on that occasion that I told you about she stayed for some days. And when she arrived, we had at the time 
um, a very large dog, if you know what an Akita looks like. This is a very large male Akita. They look like bears. They have heads like bears. And uh, they, I mean, he was very mild with people, but he was imposing. And uh, he uh, lived in our kitchen mostly and <coughs> stood up when people came in. She came in the kitchen door. She was a very little woman. And he was a very big dog. And mostly when people came into the house, they came in and he would stand up and they'd be a little bit taken aback by this big dog stand up. And she walked in, he stood up and she walked right up to him. She was about on a level with him and she put her hands on his brow and gave him a blessing. He was fine because he would have been fine without the blessing as well. But she was fine as well. You know, she just came right up to him, hands on the brow, gave him the mumble, mumble, mumble little blessing in Bengali. Was lovely, and I thought to myself, she, in in this moment that I thought to tell you about it, it's that I I remembered that she was protected by her blessing practice, in the same way that the Buddha was protected as he sat, and all assailed by the armies of Mara. So when people come to a metta retreat, we teach them blessings and ask them to say them again and again. And in the blessings, again and again and again, it keeps the mind from telling its stories again and again. Where was that police? Why did she call me? Why did the meeting go so long? This shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't have happened. All the commentaries on what shouldn't have happened and what's more we shouldn't be in Iraq and what's more this and what's more that. All the commentaries on what's the matter with my life and what's the matter with life on the planet and who's doing it wrong can't happen if blessing is happening. But I think it's actually, as I come along, it's more than it's more than the blessing is happening. It's more the cultivation of a non-adversarial relationship to life itself, which is why I think that even though metta practice looks in its form different from mindfulness practice, it's not. That the instruction for mindfulness practice is meet every moment as it arises with a heart that's hospitable a heart that's not contentious. In the Anapanaka, he says, mindfulness is non-coercive. Don't expect that it be other than what it is. Here comes this big dog, you put your hands on it and bless it. Here comes this moment, you say, okay, here I am. You don't fight with things. So what, we do teach those two things here. I, I, I've, I'm planning that my, my thing is I'm going to really more and more teach that they're just the same in different form. And we teach them using two suttas, two, two sermons from the Pali Canon. For the most part, the Pali Canon is not instructions. It's just stories. The Buddha went from here to there to there to there. It's very much more like stories, of, it's very much more like the Gospels. The, the Buddha went here and he taught this, parables. He told this and he told that and he told this and he told that. And people got it. If you cling to things, if you struggle with things, you'll suffer. And if you don't, you won't. And many people got enlightened just from hearing that word. And I like to think sometimes that maybe uh, those of us who need instructions and need to meditate, uh, like the early birds that have to come to school because they don't catch on to reading so easily and they need extra like remedial help and remedial instruction and maybe the mindfulness sutta and the metta sutta are remedial instruction for people 
But the Mindfulness Sutta says, do this, do this, do this. Sit down, pay attention to the breath and the body and the feelings and the condition of the mind. Pay attention to things that are true. The Metta Sutta, at which we we're about to read, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, the sudden feeling, maybe I'd given out the wrong paper. The Metta Sutta, <laughs> it's just the mind that thinks about a possible something possibly could have gone wrong. The Metta Sutta uh, doesn't look like it gives instructions. The first time I read it, and for years really, after my first brush with it, I had a kind of a cavalier feeling about it. I said, you know, this Metta Sutta says, uh, no matter what, wish everyone well, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what what you think of them. Wish them well. Let none deceive another or despise anyone for any reason. Just as a mother would give her life to protect her one and only child, just so should we towards all beings boundlessly open our heart. And I used to think, in a somewhat cavalier and I think uninformed way, that it was all well and good for the sutta to say that, but it didn't give instructions about how to do it. Because it's very hard to have a universally loving and accepting heart. And even when, as I say it to you, maybe somebody's thinking, but, 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 how about this, how about that, how about this person, that person. And more recently, I decided that I have another view, not that this is a simplistic sutta, that in fact it says the whole of the Dharma in it. It's instructions for the whole of the Eightfold Path. It's morality instructions, it's uh, which are the first, uh, however you want to, if you want to think about it that way, morality instructions, right, right action, right speech, and right livelihood, which are the first three parts of the path. It has that in here. It has wisdom instructions, right understanding and right aspiration, but thinking about what we've realized and rededicating ourselves to the path. And it has the right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration practice in it, right in the middle of it, the heart of the practice. And I think that there is one phrase that is the key instruction for how to make it work. So having said that, I'd like us to read it together out loud. And as you're reading, think to yourself, what is the key instruction here? Okay? Those little uh, things up and down, by the way, those little triangles are how to chant it. Uh, but we won't complicate it. We'll just read it together. Now let us chant the Buddha's words on loving kindness. Let's read it together. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety 
May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another, as any being, any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain the tribute. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. By the way, do you like that? I love that. When I travel to teach, when I travel to teach, I take three pieces of paper with me. I take the Metta Sutta. I take a, a poem called uh, Kindness by Naomi, Naomi Shihab Nye. And I take a poem called Keeping Quiet by Pablo Neruda. And that's all I carry with me if I travel to teach because those are the only things I might need to look at. I know them mostly by heart, but uh, everything else I figure I'll remember or look up. So I want to tell you that I think, well, I won't tell you the whole answer to this. What if I told you that I think one line is the key line to this whole thing? It's the key to how do you do that? in a world where we do have preferences and opinions and views and hard thoughts about lots of people, how do we wish well to everyone, far and near, no matter what? Is there one line in here? And what I would like for you to do with your partner, if they're still here, or with another partner, if your partner isn't here. Well, you know what, when we had our little groups of four, Let's be in a little groups of four, because in little groups of four, you get four people thinking about it. What do you think is the key, important clue in this? What if I tell you there is a clue in here? So you tell me in, um, in five minutes, you'll tell me what the clue is. Ready, set, go with your partners. Thank you. 
How are you doing? Did you figure it out? So my, my experience has been that uh, different people find one or another phrase, the key phrase, and I am always learning from what people think is the key and most important phrase. So I would like for various people to tell me what your group decided or what you decided was the key or most important phrase. Why don't you stand up so everybody knows and hears, and then I don't do it back over. Chris, and we had, had uh, first uh, fixed views, uh, not holding to fixed views. And then we debated about letting on uh, through anger or ill will wish harm on another, and then we came down to <laughs> radiating kindness over the entire world. So we had several options, but I think most of us felt to begin with Fixed use. So let's remember about that. We'll talk about all of them because that's, that's such a huge important thing that not holding to fixed views, the, the idea when we have a view about someone or something to be able to step back and say, maybe that's not the way I see it. Maybe it's another way. It's a very, it's a very big relief. Go ahead. What else? Go ahead. Uh -huh. What's your name? Okay, thank you very much. What else did people have? So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Nancy. Um, the fixed views was, had come up as one of the options also. Uh -huh. um, and then, again, went through several different, there's so many brilliant things in this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the wishing and gladness and safety may all beings be at ease. Yeah always find a way to do that and um, um, radiating kindness and the radiating that's a similar expression of just an open heart and just yeah thank you very much what else yes Barbara um, Barbara may all beings be at ease there's something about that and we talked about that and she mentioned that before anything else on this list really You know, someone pointed out to me as I was walking around that that line repeats itself twice. You notice that I'm not saying that that's the line, but I just, I had not actually thought about that before today. And I think in different, uh, sometimes you hear uh, metta practice translated as may all beings be happy, but at ease is a better translation of what we're really wanting because happy in English has the connotation of pleased and we're not all of us pleased but to have a mind that's at ease that says okay a mind at ease because it has uh, enough wisdom to remember things are the way they are because of myriad causes there is something uh, responsible for all of this which opposite from Makes us makes me as sometimes I, I I would might have thought if there are so many myriad causes what what 
effect can what I do make in the outcome of the world? But I actually think it's quite the opposite of thinking, I can't do anything, there are so many myriad causes. The myriad causes is what everything do everyone does. And so, I, you know, I am not the cause on, of changing the world, but I am a cause of changing the world. And if I do and everyone else does, imagine if everyone on the planet got up tomorrow and said, may all beings be at ease. We would have a different world. What else did you think? Well, we started with pretty much the same ones. Uh, all beings being at ease, cherishing all beings, and uh, not holding to fixed views. And in our discussion of it, we realized that they're really all saying the same thing. That it's about non-judgment, non-discrimination, not separating self and other, mm -hmm. other. That really the whole intention of this is to remove those barriers between us. So, of course, then you will love everyone because we're really all the same person. Mm -hmm. Different manifestations. In different manifestations. Thank you, Mark. What else? I am learning every, every time. Go ahead. Uh -huh. And uh, we were thinking about peaceful and calm, wise and skillful. Because as we go to the gate up there, there's this little wheel, you know, the Eightfold Noble Path is written on. And without that, the Dharma teachings cannot be learned. So we, I was voting for that. <laughs> okay. That was the clue for the whole thing. Peaceful and wise. Peaceful and calm. And wise and skillful. You think about it, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Whether that peaceful leads to calm, leads to wise, leads to skillful. Actually, you know what? I think that equation can go both ways. If you live in a skillful way, I, I thought we would have a chance to talk about paramitas today, but we didn't. Uh, paramitas are the, um, the qualities of, an, of a noble heart like morality and renunciation and uh, truthfulness and uh, determination, that all of those qualities, as one perfects them, uh, first of all, require that you pay attention in order to know, am I working on it or not working on it? So, so if you start with, I'm going to live my life skillfully, that will bring insight, which will bring wisdom, which will bring calm, which will bring peace, so you can start from the peaceful, which will bring skillful behavior, or the skillful behavior, which will bring insight and peacefulness from it. I think you can enter in at any point in the past. And I think we all do it all at one time. What other line from here? Yeah. Our group um, has all different answers, but the one that seems to me to be most instructive about how to treat other people might be even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child. Mm -hmm. It seems if we think of ourselves either as a child or as a mother of a child, or that we like being nurtured in that way, that's instructive to me if I thought about protecting others the way I might someone I love deeply. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most instructive thing for me. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mary Lou. Also, the, the, the when you think about... Just as a mother would protect her child, her only child, you don't have to be a mother, you don't have to be a female, that we relate to the, the vibe of the mood that comes out about wanting to protect someone, wanting to take care of someone. Um, when we see someone needing protection or care, 
and our own heart leaps up. It's just as a mother would protect her only child in this form with this person now. What else? What are the lines? We haven't said all the lines yet, and they all count. Yeah? I'm particularly struck by let none deceive another. Because it goes back to the victimization and villainization. And if you if you neither, and if you absolutely don't live in a deceptive way, it allows the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So let none deceive another. If you are honest, actually, when you're honest, it's, uh, honesty, tr- truthfulness is one of the paramitas. You think it's such a gift to be honest to people. First of all, you lower, the, you level the playing field, so you don't have information that they don't have. And the other thing is if you're scrupulously honest, it's the opposite of heresy. So if you really are honest, you can never say to people, you never regard my feelings or you always respond in this particular way because nobody never or always, you know, that it's just not honest. So real scrupulous might be, you know, sometimes when you do that, I feel badly. But there are other times, as a matter of fact, when you don't do that, so let me remember that at the same time, so that I don't make you, um, uh, I don't make you a villain for doing it. It happened. People do things because that's what comes up in that moment, because they can't do other. What we can do, as it comes up a lot, and we talk about, we've been talking about this a lot on Wednesday morning, isn't there such a thing as free will? I think what we have is more often, if we are practicing paying attention, the opportunity to go with camera three than camera four. It requires paying attention, but before that, it requires setting the intention to go with camera three and not with camera four, to go for the wholesome and not for the one that's going to cause pain to yourself and someone else. In the moment, factors arise, but intention is one of the factors that I think set, sets a sets the parameters of the mind so that when I do something that does not match my intention, my ongoing intention, it sets off a little bell that says, ding-dong, you just did something you didn't feel like doing. Really, you don't want to do that, do you? Whoops, no, I really don't. What, what are the other lines that you saw? Yeah. What's your name? My name's Craig. Craig, thank you very much about sustaining this recollection. I think that's actually even a good place to um, begin to pull this all together because it's just where I started this morning. About I, I, I absolutely think that the whole of practice in the life is about getting back again and again and again to the place of sustaining the recollection, of keeping clarity of making it possible for one's heart to uh, make itself known in caring and in consolation and in appreciation and in attention, which is what it does when the mind is clear, just because that's the nature of the human heart, and that it doesn't stay there, that sustaining the recollection, the injunction to stay in the recollection, is the injunction to come back again and come back again and come back again, and to know when I'm there and when I'm not, 
the guiding principle, I, I would say, or rubric of my life, if I had to ask myself one question at any point, I would say, am I able in this moment to love? Can I care? Do I care? You know, when people say I couldn't care less, I don't want to, fa- I don't want to feel that. I, I actually want to know that I can care. Love is a peculiar word because it gets with love. But could I, do I care in this moment? Do I care about myself? Do I care about people? Do I care about the earth? Do I care about who I'm with? Do I care about other people? Even if, if my own situation is quite riveting and I'm in some discomfort or some distress, can I care about myself? Because I'm also a human being worthy of care. Can I care about myself? In the different ways that we care as, as friends, as consolers, as appreciators, as recognizers, I think so much we want to be heard. We want someone to know that we're there. I actually would like for us to uh, end our day together by, uh, we can all stand up. I'd like us to all stand up and stand in a circle around in this room. I like to do this, you know, and I have a fantasy that someday, years from now, decades from now, in the time of the Buddha, at the end of the rains retreat, he had all the monks stand up in a circle around in the monastery. I don't think he did, but I'm hopeful that this will get attributed back. And uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't say hold hands with everybody, but uh, why don't we do that as well? And look around at the people who shared the day with you. Probably most of them you don't know, but I mean, sometimes you can look at people and you we are... Certainly men and women and old and young and big and little. and uh, Somebody was more than one person. Where is that? I'm looking around. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes that's clear as well. Sometimes when you look around, you see that people's parents came from different parts of the globe. Or when they say their names, we can mostly often tell ethnicity from... Uh, not only looking at people, but from their telling their names. And we'll tell our names just in a minute. You look around and everybody looks uh, familiar to me. I actually noticed this morning when I came in and sat down that I didn't know anybody, not very many people. I know a few people who are here today. But I realized that everybody looks familiar to me. And it's probably because we're here, you know. And that there's a part in the mind that says, okay, all these people believe as I do that there's really a value to the transformation of the habits of the heart to kindness, which is what we're doing here. And you were really right in all your answers to what are the important uh, lines out of the Metta Sutta. They are all important lines. Each of them is really a prism for the whole thing. We could take any one of those lines. One of the things that people do as a um, formal ending to any practice period is they dedicate the merit of that practice 
for the well-being of all beings everywhere. Now, the truth is, when you say we're going to make a dedication of merit, it sounds like we saved it up. And if we didn't dedicate it, it wouldn't go out and it would just be our personal merit just with us. And that's really not true. Every moment of practice is on behalf of all beings. Every moment of paying attention, every moment not only of sitting quietly and meditating, but of having come and have aligned your mind with the idea of kindness and the idea of peacefulness is already transforming the habits of, that transforms the habits of my mind. And in doing that, it's for the benefit of all beings. So I've already given it away, as have you. But it's a, um, it's a formal thing to do at the end of practice, is to say, okay, I'm dedicating that. And I think of the dedication of merit as being like a, a, a greeting card, you know, like when someone, when you work in a, in a business with other people and uh, it's somebody's birthday and you get a communal birthday card and everybody signs it. So this is a communal card for the merit of all beings card. May the whole world get better. May all beings be peaceful and happy. May they be safe and protected from harm. May all wars come to an end. May people learn that they can be adversaries without being enemies. May they work out their differences. May all beings, may all people, feel contented and pleased. Even given that life is difficult, that we are always accommodating are mostly always accommodating to loss. May we have people who show us how to do that gracefully and hold our hands for us metaphorically and actually while we do it. May the physical bodies of all people on this earth be nourished. May we share the stuff of this world in a way that nourishes people foods and medicines, things they need so that their bodies, for whatever span they spend on this planet, be as well and as strong as they can be. May all beings come to see through all of the views that they might have had that all beings everywhere are really human beings wanting to do this life in a way that their mind is satisfied and their hearts are happy. May all beings everywhere come to the end of suffering. I'd like for us to sign it, and so I'll say my name, and we'll go around the circle, and I would like you to ask you, please, to say out your whole name, however many names you have, <laughs> and say it loud so we can really hear everyone, and we can know everybody's parents and everybody's whole line of lineage all the way back how many names you want. So we make this dedication for the well-being of all beings everywhere. Sylvia Shore Borstein. Heidi Swigborn. Marsha Malin Murphy Rechtal Warenberg. <laughs> Paula Lorraine Darling. Marion Angelique Gutenberg. Keith Olivier Daly. I can't hear you. Okay. <laughs> Keith Olivier Daly. Janice Eichels Hindley Wood. Ronald Joseph Berlick. Lynn Levy. 
Mark Stanley Joseph Pachenik. Valerie Elizabeth Hayden Pachenik. Michelle Sheridan. Sherry Lynn Pukey. Catherine Ann Schaefer Cannon. Barbara Jean Barwood Seg. <coughs> Mary Lou Cole Sherm. Shatona Levenberg. Cheryl Halter Stoddard Swish. <laughs> Janet Ellen Nam Denbridge. Lori Cohen Kern. Jane Marie DiMartini. Patricia Margaret Foss <coughs> Silver. Jane Rindell <coughs> Smith Henson. Ashish Chada. Hugh David Globerson. Nancy Himmelblau Steinberg. Son of my mom. Carol Ricketts Libby Neal. Udo Rickhoff. Martha Lynn Williams. David Cristiano. Michael Ray Peter. Margaret Ann Davis Teeter. Pamela Tyson. Elizabeth Noel Anderson. Christine Rosalind King. Carol Ruth Sheen Delaney. Nikki Abram. Renee Ricky Wheeler. <coughs> Shirley Ann Stanley Moore. Olga Wiedemann Joseph. Michael McLeod Murphy. Geraldine Ryan Sonobe. Betsy Mae Lieberman. Judith Paula Peter. Dolores Marie Kenyon. Michelle Beth Gorn. Silverman Gabe Julia Marie Berthier, 
Harriet Campbell Saunders. <clears throat> Martha Campbell. Karen Ashley Altuler Khan. Monica Molina Plazola. Jennifer Lynn Hoban Hernandez. Genevieve Gong Chu. Susan Kelly Neal. Sophie Kurtz Malani. Joanna Kristen Muller. Robert Charles Blodgett. Mary Jo Rousseau Brooks. Alexandra <laughs> Rousseau Blodgett. Nancy Witter. Vicki Elliott. Heidi Hodgkin Sneed. Damon Barnett Sherman. Kelly Rom Coffey. Alexandra Sanin Tobar Garcia Gomez Luaga. Ted Stewart Cousins. Diane Marie Dito Cousins. Hale Mustafavi Kashani Vernick. I always discover at this point that it's so pleasant to hear everybody and everybody's parentage and everybody's lineage and hold everybody's hand, because we all are holding each other's hand, that I don't know quite how to end it. Um, because it's perfectly nice standing here. <laughs> There's some way in which there's going to be a graceful way, and somebody said, well, we're Buddhists, we should all bow. But that seems very mild somehow, because we are also uh, Westerners. I would like uh, to suggest that... Um, we can bow a little bit, acknowledging each other. And then why don't we hug the people on either side of us? That's a good way to stop holding hands. Thank you. That really is the Yeah. Thank you. This was a very moving day for me. Thank you. So thank you very much for being here. So listen, uh, here's your final instruction for today. Final instruction for today. Thank you very much for coming. Spirit Rock appreciates it. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.